What number is this, Chip? Zilch, 142. Monkeys 101 for success story, monkeys news, and more. Always more. Of course. <laughs> okay, no, I mean, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I'm Zilch. Zilch. You're listening to Zilch, a monkeys podcast. back to Zilch. This is one of your co-hosts, Sarah Clark, and joining me is Christine Wolf. Hi, everybody. Hey, Sarah, how are you today? Doing great. It's been too long since it's just been us two on the on the call. That's right. Well, we finally untangled our tin cans and string and got it to reach from Missouri to Pennsylvania instead of <laughs> instead of Oklahoma, <laughs> right? Yeah, only took us a year and a half. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Details like that. Well, um, I understand we've got a stack of reviews. We do. We need to jump into the mailbag. Are you ready? Absolutely. P.O. Box 9847. It's been a while since we've read some reviews, so they've been piling up in the corner over here. So as I was tidying up the clubhouse, I came across them. <laughs> Excellent. So- so we're going to we're going to kick it off with a review from Australia by Grace Childs who wrote, "I am extremely late to the podcast party, any podcast, but I'm hooked on Zilch. I love the sense of community and the respect among everyone. Fandom can be a weird thing and Monkey's fandom is no different." I'm a bit more than a casual fan, but I don't know what color underwear the guys wore on Tuesdays, LOL. Those, those involved, that's coming up on a future episode of Zilch. <laughs> that might be more of a naked persimmon question. <laughs> those involved with Zilch are not know-it-alls and don't make those less knowledgeable feel inferior. Zilch is an inclusive space for all all fans that's very true Mm -hmm. and is so supportive of others i really feel like i'm listening to friends thank you one and all and keep up the fab job wow thank you grace Uh, you've really picked up on the the vibe that we definitely do try to have here at zilch Uh, we are very inclusive and we want love and respect towards everyone and you know we're too busy podcasting to put anybody down right exactly and i i just i was smiling as you were reading that out because what grace described is exactly what we shoot for both in uh on the podcast and in our facebook community and you know that's not to everybody's cup of tea but we feel like there needs to be at least one spot in the monkeys community where everybody who's willing to you know be nice to everybody else is welcome 
Absolutely. And nice uh, foreshadowing there, Sarah, with the cup of tea business, but we'll get to that a bit later. Yep, that's a little, <laughs> that's a few bullets down the list, folks. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, okay. Our next review is from, <laughs> I love this, Davy Slave. Oh, my. <laughs> inclusive, inclusive. Yes. <laughs> Where has this podcast been all my life? With like five question marks after it. (laughs) I only got into podcasts in the fall of 2018, so I'm late to the party. This is becoming a theme. Apparently, there's, there's, it's open ended. It's, you know, like seven o'clock to question mark, question mark, question mark. That's the invitation. Don't worry. Drop in anytime. That's right. That's right. I only got into podcasts in the fall of 2018, so I'm late to the party. Because I'm a diehard Monkees fan since the early 70s, I searched for a podcast for them and I was not disappointed. I get news, educational content, and information I never knew before. Thank you, Ken Mills and all of the Zilch staff. Yay! Well, thank you, Davy Slave, as as the Zilch staff. <laughs> we're, we're glad you found us. Mm-hmm. All right. The last one, I don't see a name. Oh, no, there it is. Modified Bear. I love it. (laughs) I know. These are great. Mm -hmm. Uh, Excellent podcast. Why did it take me so long to discover this? So once again, Mm -hmm. we're we're getting some, some some new blood, some new ears. I have been catching up on the podcast. Everyone involved does an excellent job. It is so fun to hear everyone's opinions and insights on everything monkeys. Keep monkeying around. Okay, we will. Yep. (laughs) Don't have to ask me twice. That's right. That's a mandate from the listeners. There we go. Well, you know, it's interesting that that all three of those most recent reviews were mentioning uh, that they just found us, that they've been listening a lot, because um, uh, not too long ago, one of our our new listeners, uh, Annie Lorkowski, who has been a, an active Facebook group participant, she posted over there um, how she had recently discovered the podcast and that she had binged them all. And in fact, she said, I think I need a cigarette now. <laughs> <laughs> And, and it was fun because um, a few other folks joined in and said, oh, yeah, I've, I've just been binging them, too. Um, so a sh- big shout out and thank you to Annie Lorkowski, Shanti Rollo Morales, Amy Chapman and Lynn Jeffrey Scott, who all have fessed up and said that they have recently binged all of the Zulch episodes. Heads up, ladies, there's a new one. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. Dedicated just to you. (laughs) Absolutely. I was sitting here as you were uh, talking about that, kind of trying to do math in my head. So we've got 142 episodes at about, figure, 90 minutes each. we got some long ones. we got some short ones. Yeah, that's like 215, 230 hours, probably something on that order. Can I know the exact number? (laughs) I've kept the math running. I don't have it at my fingertips, but but it's more than that. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, We we were kind of verbose sometimes early on. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, when when uh, when Ken weighed in on on Annie's post and uh, thanked her for being a, a newly dedicated listener, uh, he asked if she had a favorite episode, and she said that she is a, a dyed in the wool Torky. So she had to um, cast her vote toward episode 67, which was Ken's excellent interview with Peter Tork. Um, mm-hmm. So, the, you know, just a reminder, folks, uh, whether you've heard them all or not, uh, you know, there are some real gold in them, our podcasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so go go check out some of your favorite back episodes. You know, somebody else mentioned that she, her, she had been um, – she had been listening to episode four, which was uh, the roundtable discussion about Mickey Dolenz's uh, stellar album, Remember. My first roundtable. Was it? Yes. <laughs> and like my third or fourth episode, something like that. <laughs> well, that was the first episode of Zilch that I ever heard. Oh, Wow. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until '69 and the uh, the Pantages show w- that I made my on mic debut, but um, or my on Mickey debut. No, no. Edit. <laughs> 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 this is what Ken gets when he leaves the clubhouse to us. <laughs> Oh my. Oh, <laughs> it is my. warm in here now. As he would say, hot. Yep. <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> so <laughs> it's good to know that there truly is something for for everybody, whether whether you are a Mickey girl, a Mike girl, uh you know, a Peter or a Davy, or as uh as Sarah will tell you, she is a April Conquest, all the way. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so thanks, everybody. Keep listening. We mm-hmm. we really appreciate it. Yep. And delving into Monkey's News, we had several things interesting come from Peter's World uh, the last month, uh, the last few months. First off, uh, we had we learned that. On June 21st, uh, Real Peter Tork official posted, Our hearts are once again warmed by the love and beauty of Peter's Torkies. Thank you, Annie Susan Pinna, for gifting a tree to Peter. Um, it is as a living memorial. Two trees will be pa- planted in the El Dorado National Forest in California in loving memory of Peter Halston Thorkelson. Long may they stand, reaching ever upward to embrace the light and warmth of the sky. This gift made possible by Annie Pinna. That's lovely. That's wonderful. Now Davy has a tree and Peter has a tree. And yeah, isn't that's, that so that's cool? A- it is. It is. It's a a wonderful living reminder. Yeah. 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 Yep. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Annie, for doing that. Yeah, that's such a lovely thing. And in addition to the tree, Peter has a star now. He does. That's yes. right. Uh, the PTFB team lovingly announces that we have been granted permission to rename star RA22H41M6.26S. D dash eight degrees forty seven minutes fifteen point seven five seconds in the Aquarius constellation as Peter Halston Torkelson. Thank you for everything, Peter. We love and miss you, boss. 
Well, that's a much catchier name than it was originally given, right? So. Exactly. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I do particularly like the idea of, I, I know there's controversy out there about is it real? Is, you know, is it, is it a scam? You know what? It's the thought and, and the, um, the memory that is, it leaves with the rest of us. Mm-hmm that we have something tangible that when we're feeling very small, very alone, we can look up into the night sky and we can be reminded that we are not alone. Yes, we are small, but we are all together and we are all a part of this beautiful place that is our universe. And Peter was a bright light in it and he filled it he filled it with as much love as as he possibly could, um, and it's it's a good reminder to me that uh, that's the ideal that I want to live up to. Yeah, so, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And uh, I'm going to have to get with one of my you know amateur astronomer friends and and see if they can help me find the dang thing. So get get out of the city a little bit and see. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> It's died away, 
Hi, this is Peter Tork, and you're listening to Zilch. It's a monkey's podcast. And I believe you've got some vinyl news, some red and green stripy vinyl. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are those jingle bells that I hear? <laughs> if not, Ken can edit them in. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so our favorite Yukon Cornelius wannabe, John Hughes... <laughs> Oh, he's the reincarnation of Yukon Cornelius. I I, absolutely, this. absolutely. God love it. I, mm-hmm. man. Anyway, uh, he recently announced that Christmas Party is going to be coming out on vinyl here. In, in fact, it's available for pre-order now. It's going to be officially released in September. Um, but Rhino has an exclusive limited edition version that is red and white. They are calling it the candy cane uh vinyl Mm -hmm. it's 180 it's 180 grams so it's a you know it's a good quality and uh and that is being offered through the the monkeys store at monkeys.com for 21.98 that's a really good price yeah very good price also out on uh monkeys.com there are a set of four monkey men or Christmas tree ornaments. And they're they're made by the Titan Company. You might remember they had done those those vinyl figures and a and a vinyl um, monkey mobile. Uh, what a year or so ago. Mm, so they yeah. they've done that's that's the style and and they've done them as monkey men and they're sold as a set for thirty nine ninety nine at the monkeys dot com store, but uh, you can get both the vinyl album and the all four vinyl ornaments for a combo price of forty nine ninety nine. So that's uh, that's a good deal. Yeah, uh, you know you're basically getting the the album at half price there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I, I know that uh, I know that when John booped <laughs> the announcement over yes. the Zilch Facebook page, uh, uh, people jumped on it right away and and got their pre orders in. So we encourage you if you haven't done that to do that too. Uh, and, and if that wasn't enough down in the bottom of Santa's sack, there are also vinyl issues of Christmas party that are target exclusives. Now, before everybody gets crazy about it, there are no additional tracks. There is nothing different about any of these vinyl versions the only thing that's different are the colors. So Target has a red version and a green version, but it has all the same track listings. So you can, and those are those are on pre-order now as well. So you can go to Target.com and and get those if that's what you would like to see under the tree for either yourself or 
somebody that you are um, wanting to impress with your monkey's gifts this Christmas. Uh, so go out and get yours now. Yeah. Absolutely. And speaking of things that people are running out and getting, I am loving seeing everybody's photos of their uh, Davy Jones Live in Japan um, LPs and CDs that, that, that I'm seeing all across the monkey web, zilch and elsewhere. I, I think this this seems like this has been a really big hit. Yeah, I'm loving that everybody jumped right on it. 7A uh, has done it once again. Mm-hmm. They've, got a, they've got a great release and the wonderful photos and uh and liner notes and so forth so yeah another another great release from 7a yeah they, and they really know how to do it absolutely and if you need more details here's more about the album new from 7a records davy jones live in japan featuring both of davy's officially released japanese concert albums 1981's Live in Japan and 1982's Hello Davy. Unavailable for years, these digitally remastered albums sound better than ever. Available in two formats, the two CD, one DVD set contains a whopping 22 bonus tracks and a detailed 24 page color booklet featuring previously unreleased photographs, liner notes, and recollections from Japanese fans. The DVD contains Davy's concert Hello Davy, which has only ever been previously released on Laserdisc in the Far East. The 3 LP colored vinyl gatefold edition posts 16 bonus tracks and includes a 28 page brochure with a replica of Davy Jones's Japanese tour program unavailable anywhere else. Produced in conjunction with the Jones family, Davy Jones Live in Japan is 7A's most extensive project yet. Davy Jones Live in Japan drops on August 2nd, but you can pre-order your copy now at Deep Discount and Amazon.com. Order yours today. It strikes me, Christine, that I think a great way to enjoy that lovely Davy Jones Live in Japan album would be to just kind of sit back and relax with a cup of tea. How was that segue? (laughs) (laughs) That was good. (laughs) Well, now that we've spilled all the tea on all the monkeys news... (laughs) (laughs) And we are about to settle in for uh, the newest episode of Monkeys 101. I am going to brew a cup of Jones Organic Tea. I think I'm going to go with Morning in Manchester. So it's a great black tea blend. It's got a, a little bit of a kick, you know, caffeine kick, but not as harsh as a cup of coffee. For uh, for any of you tea drinkers out there, if you have not yet checked out Jones Organic Tea Company, you owe it to yourself to do it. They've got a variety of different flavors and uh, and blends everywhere. Everything from, like I say, black tea to herbal, iced tea, warm tea, um, you you know, it's and I've tried about uh, six or seven different varieties, and each one is better than the other. I I can never pick a favorite um, because each one is is meant to uh, to have a purpose. Whether you're trying to wake up 
whether you're trying to calm down with the sleepy jean herbal and a chamomile blend um, to kind of take the edge off the day, or if it's a really hot summer day like it is here, a nice uh, a nice glass of the iced tea, um, peaches and chill. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are these are all really really great. Uh, all natural, organic, free trade, um, uh, ethically sourced, pay the workers a living wage type uh, uh, type uh, teas. And so check them out at jonesorganictea.com. Yep. You've inspired me to pour myself a cup of tea as well for Monkeys 101. I think I'm going to pour myself a bit of uh, Shades of Grey, and you guys are going to find out why when you listen to this next uh, class session of Monkeys 101. Christine, you want to go ahead and ring the bell? Sure. Class. Class. It's Monkeys 101. Here at Zilch, a Monkeys podcast, we're big fans of education. But as Zilch Nation grows, there's also a growing number of fans who don't know their Frodus from their Freeble Energizer, or who've forgotten the departure time for last train to Clarksville. There are even people in this world who can't solve the equation nine times blue. Oh, but have no fear, because doctors Roseanne Welch and Sarah Clark are here to help with their new series, Monkeys 101. Their regular class sessions and symposiums on special topics will explore all things monkeys, from the deeper meanings of the TV show and music we all know and love, to the cultural impact of the monkeys from 1966 all the way to the present. We'll even explore the monkeys' connections to history then and now. Stay tuned for a fun, thoughtful romp through the world of the monkeys, and who knows? At the end of the episode, you just might be thinking about the monkeys in a different, deeper way. Welcome back, everyone, to Monkeys 101. I am one of your co-hosts, Sarah Clark. And I'm Dr. Roseanne Welch. Yes, lovely seeing or hearing or you hearing us or something like that again. (laughs) Lovely encountering each other again. (laughs) Good, good. I love that word. That's good. Today, we will be discussing... Episode 6 of The Monkeys, Success Story. The group who is bent on making Davy look like a star give Jones's visiting grandfather the monkey treatment. Uh, original air date is October 17th of 1966. Nielsen ratings were a 16.1 rating and a 28.1 share, which is approximately 8.8 million viewers. That's quite good, really, for the day. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was about to ask, what's the difference between rating and share? Uh, oh, that's an excellent question. The rating is literally how much, uh, how many bodies watched it, basically. And the share is, of all the other channels at the time, what percentage of audience did you get? So somebody, you know, on the other channel probably had, someone gets a 30 share and whatever. Uh, nowadays, it's really scary because it's so fractured. You can't really count on that. But back in the day with only three or maybe four channels, something like I Love Lucy would have gotten, you know, a 38 share or some huge so 40 percent of the people watching tv were watching that show okay so that, share tells you of all the people watching how many were watching your program that's kind of what i thought but thanks for confirming so yeah yeah it's all a numbers game <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and speaking of numbers as mentioned this was the sixth episode aired but it was actually the 13th 
episode produced. It was kind of the last episode sort of in that first clump of shows that they put together before the show came on the air. It was actually the last episode to be produced before the show debuted. And it was only the second one that was produced after Last Train to Clarksville was released. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was I thought that was interesting and I think it explains a fair bit that it was later in the production process than in the airing order because this is really one of the early episodes where you really see the chemistry between the guys, you know? Definitely. Well, and interestingly enough, it's probably one of the few I would say this one and Monkey Mother are the only ones that get to a place of sentiment, which, you know, the show always had fun and joy and a little bit of heart but it was never it never had that moment that this one does and that monkey mother does when she talks to all the individual guys about their lives. Yeah, those are certainly the two from the first season. I can think of, you know, Devil and Peter Tork is another one that jumps to mind, but that that was somewhat later, so. Very true. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And this episode was written by Gerald Gardner and Dee Caruso, our showrunners, and Bernie Orenstein. Um, I believe this is the first time Bernie's name has uh, popped up and you mentioned you'd found some information about him. Yeah, he's a cool guy. He was actually full time in a show called The Hollywood Palace, which was kind of a, you know, a variety show where you'd get Bing Crosby and Judy Garland and like the biggest names in the business. And he was on a break or a hiatus from that show when he got the chance to write a couple episodes of The Monkees. And so he did. Um, but it's interesting. I'm going to add uh, show notes at the end that are a link to his oral history with the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. Mm. And they don't even ask him about The Monkees because he wasn't a regular staff writer. He was so involved with, uh, previous to that, um, Candid Camera, where he was a co-writer with Joan Rivers, of all people. <laughs> yeah, seriously, seriously. She was on that show until Alan Funt fired her because she appeared on the Johnny Carson show, and she was so good, Funt didn't want someone more famous than him working for him. Uh-huh. Yeah, there you go. Probably didn't want a woman more famous than him working for him. Uh, that might have something to do with it, yes. <laughs> exactly. So Bernie, but, so Bernie was more involved in those kind of variety shows, and then he did That Girl. And in a strange twist, although it was true in television back at the time, there weren't at all many writers of color. So he went on to write some very famous shows about actors of color, including Sanford and Son and What's Happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's looking back, you wouldn't think of those those shows kind of in the same breath as the monkeys, but you can see some certain parallels kind of in some of the comedy. Yeah, certainly the comedy. And there's some family relationship stuff going on. And I think what's interesting about having a freelance guy not a staff writer. So he's not in the room with everybody and talking across the last so many months or weeks as they've been working. He's given a couple episodes to look at and he's got to come up with something to pitch. And I think that's probably why he went, well, we don't have any backstory on any of these boys right. except this Davy guy is clearly English. So let me play with that. Um, because that's truly the only two episodes where we get backstory is this one and Monkey Mother when as she talks to the individual guys, we hear a little bit about their her assumptions about their childhood. But mostly TV shows like to give you backstory. And these mm -hmm. guys just appear fully formed as this group. Yeah, they, 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 they arose fully formed from the, you know, the Malibu surf or something. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's, that's a great visual you're giving me right now. All of them walking out of the surf. And mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's, you know, that's the difference in a freelance writer and a staff writer. You're not privy to all the conversations about where the show's at. You just have to come up with your own ideas from what you're given to see. Yeah, yeah, very true, very true. And this episode was directed uh, by James Frawley, who is, of course, Yay. directed about half of the episodes. So, yeah. 
a very cool guy. Very cool guy. And we're hoping at some point to do a spotlight on him as well. Um, you know, it, it just this is the beginning of what just has become a truly amazing career that he had over kind of the next 45 years after the monkeys. And this was just what kicked him off behind the camera. Exactly. That's another way that we always say the monkeys were so influential and people are forgetting to credit them with giving so many people their head start. Yep. Very true. So moving on to what was going on in the real world the week mm -hmm. that this episode aired. On October 19th, the USSR performed another nuclear test in uh, eastern Kazakhstan. Uh, on the 21st, this one's a, a kind of sad, 116 children and 28 adults died as a coal waste heap slid and engulfed a school in Aberfan, South Wales. Jeez, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. And then back to Russia on the 22nd, USSR launches Luna 12 for orbit around the moon. It, it was like they were racing with somebody or something. Gee, I wonder who. <laughs> Maybe I should watch Hidden Figures to find out. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> and on October 22nd as well, ice hockey legend Bobby Orr scores his first career goal versus the Montreal Canadiens. Yay for that. Yay for that. I'm, I'm not a big hockey follower, but hopefully some yeah. folks here are. So I'm long from Ohio originally, and we were there because right on the border of Canada, half the kids who couldn't get into the best colleges playing hockey in Canada would come into Ohio. So they'd be our A team, but they were the B team from Canada. Of course. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Where I come from, it was more football, but yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So moving on to the Billboard charts for this week. Number five is the Count Five with Psychotic Reaction. Number four is The Association with Cherish. Cherish is a word I use to describe I, I saw the piece at the LA Public Library mm -hmm. um, and they played it acoustic. It was beautiful. Ooh, cool. I have to see if we can find some audio for that or something. That sounds awesome. And, and number three, moving up one slot from their uh, debut in the top five the previous week, is The Monkees with Last Train to Clarksville. Woohoo! Yes. <laughs> It's hilarious seeing them like coming into the top five at the same time. You've got these episodes where they're so broke they're having to like fool Davy's grandpa. It's it's kind of <laughs> it's true. And imagine what that what craziness that was playing with their own lives too. Well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then number two is question mark and the Mysterians with ninety six tears. Good song. I like that one. Still at number one, as they were the previous week, the four tops with Reach Out. I'll be there. Hello, 
cool. Yeah. So really another version of a boy band, if you think about it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Huh, just it, it, I, I like seeing these because it's like the variety of things that are, that are in the charts at this point. So it's kind exactly. of interesting. And you know, w- when you mentioned Cherish, um, one of the things they talked about, I can't think, can't remember off the top of my head if they, if any of them actually had a house in Laurel Canyon along with the monkeys and everybody else. I'd be but shocked think, if they didn't. Yeah. I think she talked about being somewhere up there when, when they came up with the song. So yeah. I have to research that, but that would make sense. So yeah. Yep. Okay, well, let's get into the episode proper. Why am I the dummy? The dummy should be the dummy. There is cards. Don't antagonize him. What do you have to say about that, Mr. Schneider? The shame to waste you on children. <laughs> All right, which one of these bums gets this telegram? Oh, fellas, I'd like you to meet the general. <laughs> I ain't no general. That is... Does he say nothing? No, that's Mr. Schneider. He's our advisor. <laughs> Which one of you guys is Davy Jones? I am. I got one. Collect. He yeah. is. Davy, Davy and Peter are playing cards with Mr. Schneider. Kind of a cute bridge joke. They were playing bridge and they were talking about him being the dummy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as they're playing cards, a messenger arrives at the pad about a telegram for Davy. Uh, when the messenger demands a buck eighty for his services... Michael quickly instructs him to consult Mr. Schneider, their dummy, who he dubs as their advisor, since he's the only one working. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Davy reads the telegram and is crushed to find out that his grandfather is coming that evening. The other guys are very surprised when he tells them of his concern because he's always said very cool things about his grandpa. But then it turns out that Davy may have kind of stretched the truth a little bit. A little bit? <laughs> yes, apparently he wrote his grandfather that he had become a wealthy star and uh, now fears being forced to return to England should his grandfather learn the truth. Mm-hmm. Which is a really interesting remark on the concept that we forget He's under 21, and he yeah. doesn't really have a right to live on his own if without that permission. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, they've always sort of written him as the youngest of the group, kind of the little brother situation. And, and yeah, that he theoretically could be the, you know, in the universe of the show, the, the only one who is, you know, young enough that he is not considered a full adult in the eyes of the law. So, exactly. After the credits, of course, the guys decide to help Davy masquerade as a rich celebrity. Mickey dupes a wealthy old man into taking his Rolls Royce and uh, cons the telegram messenger into switching outfits so he can pass as a chauffeur. Mike gets himself hired and then quickly fired as a chef at an Italian restaurant, leaving with the chef's uniform. And I'm, I'm pretty sure the shot with Mike covered with spaghetti was also used in the, um, in the uh, Italian restaurant uh, episode that's coming up in a little bit. Yes, I yes. remember that. Yep. And then Peter walks up to an ice cream salesman and basically manages to leave with the shirt off his back. I'm not still not exactly sure how he pulled that one off, but hey. <laughs> but you know what I like about that? Uh-huh. Which is really interesting. Both Mickey and Mike are lying to other people. But Peter never says a word. That's he's true. He's just a kid. Yeah. yeah. He's just smiling and nodding. He doesn't say a word. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, but hey. That's and, the, yeah, but hey, for some reason, the shirtless ice cream man gets, <laughs> ex- 
experiences this weird boom in business. <laughs> exactly. And it's Charlie Callis, who is not, you know, exactly yeah. the hottest looking guy on the planet, but this is one of his first jobs. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping we'd mention that he appears briefly in this. So, yeah. With their newly acquired uniforms and accessories, Mickey, Mike, and Peter masquerade as Davy's chauffeur, chef, and houseboy, respectively. Then at this point, we head for the airport where uh, Davy meets his grandfather outside and Mike and Peter take turns disguising them as fans asking for autographs and as a photographer taking pictures. Very cute bit. Um, Michael pretending to play Texas is particularly amusing in this spot. Dolan's prepare the car. Yes, sir. Well, you look very well, I must say. You seem to be thriving out here in the colonies. Yes, I have been rather fortunate. Hey, are you Davy Jones? Yes, my public. Can I have your autograph? Yes, you can. Mr. Jones, I just want to tell you that my family sleeps a little better every night knowing that you are out there singing. You're a great person. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you. Peter's next. Okay. Peter, go on. (laughs) Hold it, Mr. Jones. Smile, please. Thank you. Notice how people keep asking that boy for his autograph and taking pictures? He must be a celebrity. Mark's coming back in another disguise. Come on. (laughs) Excuse me. I'm one of your biggest fans. Find this. Whoever you are. You look great. You don't look so bad yourself. Fantastic. Watch your hands, Sonny. What a performance. Look, I don't want to review just an autograph. You do too much. But Davis, she's not a young lady. You're no chicken yourself, Charlie. What I like, this one of the other things I love about this episode. It's one of the first time all of them get to sort of act and do funny voices and play characters in a way that they haven't had the chance. Mostly, a little bit Mickey has, but it's nice to see all of them getting to be comics. That's true. That's true. We've had some with Peter. Some of the stuff. In royal flush with him, you know, a, a tufted stool as a servile flatterer and stuff like that. But yeah, definitely they get more kind of, you know, the, the quick joke, joke, joke kind of comedy. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then a middle-aged lady played by Seal Cabot, who, uh, at some re- may remember, bought International Steel at 38 and a half in royal flush. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, sees this scene and convinced that Davy is a celebrity approaches for her to get, uh, to get an autograph. However, Davy, for some reason, thinks it's Mike in disguise, even though Mike would have had to lose about nine inches a night to pull it off. <laughs> That's why it looks like in the shot they're about the same. Fair enough, fair enough. (laughs) But then Mike arrives in goofball gear, and then Davy just like gets his shoves his grandpa into the car, and they head for the pad. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Unfortunately, they were only able to afford one meal while Davy is stuck with a rubber meal, except for the fruit being plastic. Fortunately, Grandpa was not paying a whole lot of attention to his grandson not eating. (laughs) True. He might have thought he was trying, you know, to stay slim for the pictures. Ah, yeah, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But Davy's grandfather is impressed by Davy's affluence, and it looks like the guys might have pulled it off until their friend from next door barges in to borrow some hot dogs. The owners of the uniforms and the Rolls Royce arrive to reclaim their property, and uh, all hell breaks loose in the apartment. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. When people talk about script writing and the sort of stages of a script, this is the all falls apart stage. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> they had a plan and it all fell apart. And um, one of the things I love about it, because Treva Silverman tells us that in the beginning they sat them all down to watch a lot of Marx Brothers films and then copy that. Mm-hmm. And this scene is very reminiscent to me of the big stateroom scene from the Marx Brothers, which we'll put a link on later that people can watch on YouTube, where they're in their stateroom on a boat and everyone keeps coming in and the whole thing gets ridiculous and crazy and funny. And that's really what's happening in the pad. Yeah, yeah, it's excellent. I mean, you know, the monkeys really were like the Marx Brothers. Sorry, I cannot do a Liverpudlian accent. <laughs> you need to travel there and practice. Yes, I have. I, I, I've never. I've been to other places. I've been to Manchester, but I've never been to Liverpool. So that's oh, that's okay. on the to do list. Yes. Very cool. <laughs> but we'd be some of the few people going to Liverpool to you know study where the monkeys might or might not have been, and then, you know, all those Beatles also were there. Well, yeah, yeah, they were there too. So. <laughs> But yes, after uh, after the crazy hijinks calm down, Davy's grandfather basically loses his temper and, you know, understandably demands that Davy has to return to England with him. Which, by the way, they're going to be at the airport in two hours to take off. Can you imagine? Nowadays, they've had to have been there four hours early to drop off the rental car to get into the thing, two, three hours early to go through the TSA security check. Yeah. To be at the, I mean, just the idea that you could hop off on and off a plane, well, I just mean, drive up and get on. Yeah, we're not there yet, but the whole third act thing with the guys, you know, running around like maniacs around the, the airport, that, that none of that could have happened. <laughs> Ever in the history of our period. Exactly. Yes, certainly. <laughs> and, and if anybody cares, people love to do those monkey tours when they come to L.A. That's actually... Um, one of the times it was the Burbank Airport. Which I, has I yeah, been I knew it was several things. Yeah, one of the local like regional airports, and I couldn't remember which one. So Burbank Airport, cool. Burbank yeah. Airport, which became later the Bob Hope Airport, and oh. has now become the Burbank Hollywood Airport because they sadly figured out a new generation of people don't know who Bob Hope was. Oh. And that airport name doesn't tell them how close they are to landing in Hollywood, so they go to LAX, which is farther away and more right. expensive and busier. And so, yeah, so it's like colloquially it's the Hope Burbank Airport, but now legally it's the Burbank Hollywood Airport. Yeah. Wow. We're getting old. <laughs> yeah, which is why we have to keep the monkeys. Well, the funny thing yeah. is we're, we're doing our best to keep the monkeys alive, but of course they're doing it by all these concert tours. Yeah, yeah. As we, recording the, uh, we are recording this, their Australian tour is winding down right now, and it's been really cool seeing all of that going on. So Definitely. Yeah. So cool. So anyway. Right. Yeah. Very true. Well, for me, this is after, you know, kind of this act break where Davy has to go back to England with his grandpa. This is this is kind of a shift into kind of this next segment of the of the episode, kind of this, you know, the all is lost moment until they decide to go to the airport and, you know, try to get Davy back. This whole section, this ne- like five or seven minutes or so is is just all these performances are way better than they had to be. And exactly. The whole tone of the show, it becomes a little bit of what we would call today more of a single camera drama. Yeah. You know, something that you could do on The Wonder Years and that there's a moment of sentimentality and seriousness that is not typical for the show at this stage. Yeah. And and we really get one of the first glimpses of like the chemistry between the four actors that I think is a big reason that we're still talking about this show 53 years later. It's, it's <laughs> really them. And that's why I wanted to point out that, yes, it was only the sixth episode 
aired, but it was the 13th episode produced because you can see those relationships and interactions as actors between the four of them have really kind of hit a, a, a really strong pitch. That's exactly right. And you can see patterns between who's getting along with who and who's sort of blending in with each other in an interesting way. And Mike gets the chance to play um, the dad figure, even though it's a show without a father. He's the pseudo father in that he gets to challenge the adult to why he's forcing Davy to go home. And it's a fair, equal level of conversation. Yeah, it's I mean, we've had glimpses of this before. We've we've had we've had, you know, Papa Nez or, uh, you know, Mike dad in, um, you know, Monkey versus Machine is the one that that really right. immediately jumps to mind because he you know right. bails Peter out of that situation. But um, yeah, this this really takes it to another level where he's really standing up and talking to Davy's grandpa as an equal. Exactly. That's a big deal. And you're right. What's interesting is in Monkey versus Machine, he's fathering Peter. Now he's fathering Davy. And you're making me wonder, off the top of my head, can I think of a time he fathered Mickey, or are they too equal in height and therefore oddly equal in age? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, because cause, cause Mickey, certainly in these early episodes, was more kind of the mad scientist type. And yeah, yeah. It, it that that dynamic feels a little more, not exactly level exactly, but it's not exactly that same dynamic. So yeah. Interesting, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, and I also think it's interesting that... <sighs> Maybe this is just what came later, and, you know, we'll probably talk about that here in a little bit, but it feels like this is kind of one of the first episodes to kind of blur the characters that they're playing and that the people who are actually playing them in the context of the show. Mm -hmm. In what way? That's really interesting. In what in, way? In the sense that, and again, it, it could just be that they're doing a really good acting job, but the chemistry between all four of them and, and kind of especially Davy and Peter in that in that goodbye scene, which I'm just going to put the whole goodbye scene in here for you all to listen to. Um, yes. <laughs> it it feels genuine and authentic in a way that it did not that it felt inauthentic, but it feels like it's hitting a different level of chemistry or rapport in this scene that it has in any previous scene in any previous episode but again maybe that's just the fact that they're like delving to this more authentic emotional level as opposed to just kind of mark's brothers meets a pop band you know that's true and what's i think we also have to recognize that we're reacting to the scene in post the death of davy in that it was what all the news media showed this scene when they were announcing his death yeah, this yeah. was the bit they showed, and all of us were—he's literally—they're all saying goodbye to him, which is so presciently odd and and emotionally much more um, powerful to us. And then, frankly, when I rewatched it yesterday to double check my ideas, um, I hadn't—it hadn't occurred to me that the only person who hugs him is Peter. Peter. Was and that the first time you had watched this episode since Peter had died? Exactly. Me too. Yeah. Not weird. Not weird. It's that's true. That's how that's how this stuff takes a meta textuality onto its own because now this theme means something different to us. Totally, totally. And 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 how you know, yeah, yeah. That's very well put. So, well, back to the episode, <laughs> which is still you're right, very serious in this section, which is, makes it very interesting. Yeah, yeah. But as as mentioned, Mike tries to convince Davy's grandpa that Davy was just trying to make him proud. You want to know something? Davey did this whole thing for you. I mean, he, he just wanted you to be proud of him. And he, 
He wants you to think he was a success. And Davy needs a family. He can't just go on frittering his life away. Oh, man, be honest. It's you. You're not thinking of Davy at all. You want him back because you miss him, or... You want him back because you need him. No, that's not true. I have a duty to guide him. Sure. And, and he makes an argument, which I don't totally buy, that Davy's grandpa just wants to take him home because he misses him, which, you know, right. is not, I get what Mike was trying to say, and it sort of makes sense in a, in a 60s sort of boomers trying to break free from their father figures thing, but it right. wasn't really, that part wasn't really built up in the in the preceding you know 12 minutes of course we've only got a half hour to build all this stuff up so that's was- true you know that's the truth of good writing and i'm not i'm not ribbing on ornstein but i don't think he had the space for it or maybe didn't take it as seriously whereas a show like friends would give you the setup and the payoff here they're just giving us a payoff and expecting us to believe it when i sort of always had the impression that it was that i let you go have this adventure you lied to me you need to come home now and do the real life which is what you're supposed to do right right that's that's more what kind of the 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 act one setup to this red like yeah yeah so it's interesting that the writer didn't play that but whatever yeah that's okay (laughs) like you said only 20 24 minutes so yeah (laughs) which is pretty good considering nowadays i believe a half an hour show gets 17 minutes on network (sighs) yeah Yeah, 17 minutes to tell your story. Eventually, we're going to have more commercial than episode, but... <laughs> yeah, hello, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And of course, some of the, on the monkeys, some of the 24 minutes has to go towards, you know, the romps or, or yeah. you know, music. So Davy is taking a final stroll along the beach, reminiscing the good times to I Want to Be Free, using a lot of kind of the beach stock footage we've seen in some earlier episodes. Um, yeah. And again, think about how that's the perfect tone song for this because it's a sad song even though it's meant to be the end of a relationship song now it's becoming a teenager saying i want my right to independence yeah yeah i i watched this show for the first time like many of our listeners i'm sure in the 80s on nickelodeon and uh they aired the 67 rerun versions of most of the episodes yeah and so the first time i heard this episode uh, I was going to get into it later, but we're here. Um, we're I both. heard Shades of Grey over this. Mm, bit, also which, totally correct. Uh, you know, I've argued for years it fit better. But, you know, looking at now, you know, reading Sandoval and knowing what was in the can at this point, I Want to Be Free was definitely the best choice of what they had recorded at this stage. That's exactly right. But you're right that because Shades of Grey is this lovely question about what happens when you get older and the generations and all of that, it makes a better inclusion that's so funny what i love about us talking about this stuff together too is that you are an 80s fan and i'm a 60s early 70s fan Mm -hmm. so we have these different memories about stuff like that yeah yeah and and then we'd have the commercial break and we do the you know nick at night meet the monkeys contest and you gotta send in your cards and yeah i didn't win that but that's okay i think it all worked out in the end (laughs) exactly you did fine (laughs) i managed to have a successful life yes (laughs) um but after i want to be free they were back at the past and Davy is all dressed up and packed, and he says goodbye to his bandmates. And as said, uh, we're just going to let this play because there is nothing I think any of us, either of us, can add to this. Nope, nope. Well, fellas, the cab's waiting. I have to go. I 
hate goodbyes. Okay. Welcome to America, Davy. Goodbye, Mike. Um, be good. That's in case he changes his mind on the plane. Are you ready, Davy? Right. Sure. It's gonna be good to see England again. Goodbye, fellas. It's a good scene. Wonderful, wonderful. And like I said, it gets topped later on, I think, with Devil and Peter Tork, but certainly this is a standout moment from the first season, even not... I think even without taking into account sort of the additional layers of meaning that have accrued in recent years. Oh, no, you're right. I think, I mean, imagine, you know, can we imagine being teenagers at this time watching the show? First of all, we're coming to like these characters and you're now making me think that you're going to break the group up. So I'm worried. Right. And if you're thinking of your own independence and what am I going to do and will I ever break free from my family? Mm-hmm. This is a sad moment. Yeah. Yeah, very true. And and I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, I, I, I would imagine it would kind of have even a, you know, a bigger layer than it would in, you know, any time with, you know, young teenagers looking forward to being free and having their own lives because, you know, this was the 60s. This was like peak youth culture right now in this next year or two. Exactly. And we're doing, you know, the thing, the show is doing a thing that I don't know if I would say it's new, but it's kind of fresh in that these boys are not Many boys lived alone at the age of 18, but they had, you know, they were mechanics or they're tool and die guys or they had, you know, a union job or they mm-hmm. had a blue collar job. These guys are living toward a dream, which yes. was a sort of a new idea then. Yeah. Um, and, and as that- Peter said many times in many interviews, you know, that it was the first time where you had a show like this where there was no adult ador- authority figure. Exactly. So yeah. it's a big, a lot of stuff is being lost right now if Davy truly goes back to England as a character. Yeah, very true. We cut to the airport where Davy basically tells his grandpa he'll meet him on the plane and goes in alone. Grandpa's looking a little bit guilty, but, you know, kind of trying not to show it. And then back at the pad, all the guys are bawling and, you know, mourning Davy's imminent departure. But then Mike has an idea. And of course, it's Mike. (laughs) (laughs) They may never make that plane. <laughs> they rush to the airport to make Davy miss his flight, and hijinks ensue. The guys are all disguised this time as airline personnel, with Peter as a baggage handler, Mickey a ticket clerk who's just kind of screwing everything up, and all three do everything possible to stop Grandpa from reaching the plane on time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike's driving him all around the airport, and then we see Peter as Icarus saying, Icarus. Don't fly, don't fly, your wings will melt. <laughs> And see, what I love about that is it's a joke, but it's a joke built on the idea that the audience knows Greek mythology. Exactly. Education in public schools would have given you that. Exactly. When's the last time any of us have seen a primetime sitcom make a Icarus reference with like no context? (laughs) No, exactly. Exactly. They just assume it's knowledge the audience knows. Yeah. Yeah. That's craziness. So, so so we have all this romp through the airport, you know, while they're trying to keep Davy's grandpa from making the plane. He does eventually. And you know what's funny about that? Yeah. 
It's a romp without music. I was going to point that out. Yes, it's it's the first romp. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. But it, well, okay. I don't know. I guess it sort of would depend. It's certainly the first romp with all of them or most of them since Davy's not there. I was, I was sort of thinking right. another par- parallel might be Mike with DJ 61. It had kind of that same... Feel. Same kind of vibe, even though it was just it, it was just Mike on that one. But uh, right. yeah, in any case, Grandpa catches up with Davy, and uh, he is obviously seen through Mickey, Mike, and Peter's disguises. But he <laughs> tells them all that he's happy that Davy has such loyal friends, and that he feels he can leave them safely in their hands. But he doesn't leave alone uh, alone because he uh, has uh, met <laughs> the same middle aged lady who asked Davy for his autograph earlier. <laughs> Very cute. Good thing she bought International Steel at thirty eight and a half. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he's given her his his free ticket for Davy, right? Like he's exactly. Might as well use it. Too. Yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> so the afterwards, they are on the park bench in the Columbia Ranch in front of the famous fountain. Uh, Mickey mentions instead of doing all of the things they did to try to impress Davy's grandpa, they probably have just should have just played for him. Uh, yeah. And then with that, they are soon romping around with a crowd of uh, elderly folks to the song sweet young thing which is a romp that was particularly filmed specially for this episode as opposed to using a, a lot of footage from other things which right. they had on hand yeah. but they really took the time to make it thematic to the show yeah kind of a lot of grandpa and grandma f- figures and 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 i just now thought of this which is slightly embarrassing but it's another case of the monkey's not really having connection to the parents' generation, but to the grandparents' generation. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. Davy, even before all this is going, you know, before he's told the truth to his grandpa, he's, you know, still kind of trying to tell him his story. He's like, I love my grandpa. He's a groovy guy, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we've, I think we've probably mentioned this during um, Monkey vs. Machine, but there's that whole concept that we are always more like our grandparents than our parents, that, yeah. that ideas and things skip generations. And so the show really reflects that and that always the middle-aged parent types are evil and it's always the elderly people that are good. Right. Yep. Can't trust anybody over 40, but once they hit 65, you're probably good to go. So They're fine. Exactly. It's, I mean, totally a theme of the 60s. It's played out. Mm-hmm. Very true. And once again, the show is a minute short. Actually, this one was about two minutes short. I timed it. So, uh, oh, how smart. <laughs> in an interesting choice to make the content of the interview, like parallel its accompanying episode, we get to see Davey finding out that the show is set to be aired in the UK. And he actually opened up a bit about his first visit home to see his dad since being cast on the show. Right. Hey, Davey, come on and sit down for a second. What were you doing running across the stage? Well, I thought, uh, well, I just to tell you the truth. Find some bar for me. <laughs> Baby. What? Wait a minute, fellas. There's a good chance that this show may be shown in England. Yeah? Yeah. Wait, wait, since I when? I don't know when it'll be shown there, but, uh, you know, uh, can you... Can 1973. <laughs> well, uh, in my opinion, yeah, uh, my father will love that. What does he do? Um, he's a layabout. <laughs> he lives off my money. No, no. Uh, no, I just, I just, um... He doesn't do anything. He's, he's been very ill, you know, sick. A few weeks ago, uh, when we, uh, just before we started the shoot, you went back home. Right? Yeah, I went well, to... Tell me what that was like, you know, seeing your family. Oh, man, that was the funniest. You couldn't believe it. I went home, and my sister and her boyfriend were waiting for me at the airport. Yeah. And Where I came... Where is this? In Manchester. Yes. And I came down to the, uh, the, you know, the ramp from the plane. And my hair was on my shoulders. Right. You think it's long now? Right. It was on my shoulders. Right. And I could hear my sister talking. She says, uh, that's him. 
No, that's that's a girl. No, that's a girl, you see. I have a baby face. I thought it was a girl. I came up and she said, Listen, listen to Dolan's kid over there. Uh, anyway, I'll do my impression of Davy Jones. On the plane, they were saying, After you, miss. Right. And you were kicking. No, I was saying thank you very much, sir. Did you see your, 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 your father at all? I went home to the house with my sister. Yeah. And they went in first. Right. And I knocked on the door. Right. And he says, Hello? I said, yeah, David. I've come from America. He says, you're not my son. <laughs> I says, what? Well, I came 3,000 miles. He's gone get your haircut. I says, come on, you must be joking. So I went around to get my haircut and I had it short, a little shorter than it is now. He sent me back again to get it cut before he let me in the house. So I fixed him this time. I bought him a house. Now he can't turn me away. <laughs> right. You put in your name or his name? My name. <laughs> yeah. so what are you gonna hey, Mickey? That's another little funny episode Maybe. in the life of Davy Jones. And tune in next week, ladies and gentlemen, for another minute short. Yeah, which is very cool because we hit on a few things here. I mean, first of all, he admits having been in the bathroom, which yeah. toilets weren't shown on shows or mentioned at all. It's not until Archie Bunker that the first toilet ever gets heard on American television. So letting him oh say goodness. he was in the bathroom is, I'm shocked, it passed the censors. <laughs> a silly thing, but it's true. It would yeah. not have been mentioned. Yeah, so yeah I mean, we saw, we saw a bathroom in the Brady Bunch, but we didn't see the toilet. I remember that much. And... No, 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 it's for the girls who brushed their hair in the vanity mirror. <laughs> exactly. That was about all they did in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I just thought that's such an easy thing to dump, too, because the image of the questioning of him – so you didn't need it, but, you know, I don't know, maybe they thought it was charming or it made him, you know, a cute kid or I don't know what. But Yeah. <laughs> what I do think is cute about this interview is that it's an excellent example of the fact that Mickey is not stupid. The questions are geared toward Davy, but he keeps interrupting so that you don't forget he's there. Right, right. He's definitely trying to get his face in there a little bit. Well, you know. He really is. In a way that we don't, because we eventually have seen both Mike and Davy's interviews as end of show pieces. Yeah, they never used Mickey's and Peter's. Well, I think having watched all four of them now, I, I think that's partially because Mike and Davy's were the best. Frankly, um. <laughs> oh, you're cute. Yeah, and that, well, yeah. But I think when people look on YouTube at Mickey's, you'll see the actions of an, a trained actor. Exactly. His comes off like an actor trying out for gig number 11 of 15 this pilot season. I mean, exactly. it's very good and you see the chemistry and you see why they hired him. But, you know, and they probably, you know, sort of in the same way they hired Davy to have a cute face. They probably did want somebody who had some serious TV acting chops you yeah. know, to kind of anchor things as well. So, because sure, you're talking about six days a week, you got to memorize your lines, you got to be there on time, you have to be trustworthy and all of that stuff. Yeah, and they you knew have to he'd be able been, to work those late hours. Right, and he'd been doing that since like before puberty. So he was, you know, they knew they weren't going to have. Haha, what did they know? They figured they wouldn't have too many issues with Mickey. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I think it's really inst instructional for people to look at his um, audition because there's a great bit where they discover he's wearing mismatched shoes. And that's not an accident. That's oh, yeah. forcing the people interviewing you to look at you and ask you a question. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> kind of like no the story. It's not in that video, but the story he tells of his first meeting with Bob and Bert. And they have like a, a stack of, um, you know, solo red cups or something on the table. Right. And he, he picks up another one and pops it on top and says, checkmate. I mean, that is exactly. very deliberately consciously trying to appear, you know, counterculture on hip. So, yes. Yeah.
Exactly. And, and so you have to be, you have to make yourself memorable because when people audition, they're auditioning 30 or 40 different people to say the same five lines. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was, um, I, I think I brought in several hundred and then there was like the first cut, which was about 40, I want to say, cause it, it, Mickey goes into some, dis- some detail on this in his memoir, which you can imagine. And then yeah. I think it like came down to the final eight, which are in the various screen tests and stuff you can see online. So exactly. I don't know. One of these days we might have to do a special episode where we literally trace what happened to the rest of those guys. That's interesting. Yeah. It could have been. Because some of them kind of pop up here and there and other things. So, yeah. Okay, so that's about it for the episode. I did want to hit TV tropes. There's not too much this week, but there are a couple of things. One TV trope is fake food. In the episode Success Story, <laughs> while pretending to be rich and successful, Davy is served rubber food while his grandpa gets the real stuff. Also, the fruit in the center of the table is plastic. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and then uh, the other one is, uh, ooh, me accent slipping. Um, in Success Story, Davy, who is a born and raised Brit, states that he was raised by his grandfather, who is flying in from England to see his grandson. However, when we first hear the grandfather speak, his British accent is mild to non-existent, to the point of almost sounding American. And then later, when the whole charade is falling apart, the grandfather sort of starts sounding Irish, according to this. I, I thought he sounded more Scottish, but in any case. Well, ben, the funny thing is, yeah. he is Ben Wright. The actor is English. Yes. And it and it's, has a real English accent so that he's somebody people have heard doing that accent in like Disney films, right? Because he's yeah. Roger in 101 Dalmatians. Right. He's been around a lot. And, uh, you know, he's he's another one of those, like many in this show, have met a lot, one, another one of, oh, I remember they was the guy from The Thing kind of character actors. Yeah. Oh, and, well, the biggest one is just uh-huh. the year before The Monkeys. He's Hazella in The Sound of Music. Yes, he is. <laughs> Bad guy. But, you know, that I, he's he's other. He's, he's different from yes. Americans because he is from... Exactly. Um, though this points out, apparently he, yes, was a native of London, but his father was American. So that, that's an interesting tidbit that I had not known. So I didn't know that either. So there you go. That's why he could probably go between accents. He was probably raised back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Well, we talked some about a few of the things that I wanted to talk about in this episode, but something I... This is a question I've always had. Why did they put the the band is breaking up episodes so early in the run. I mean, it works here because it's the 13th episode aired and they've got this chemistry that we were talking about earlier, but it seems something of a high stakes move to put it in episode six when maybe people are still kind of like, have it maybe connected with the characters. I don't know. I was curious about your take on that. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think, again, this goes back to a freelance writer. You give him a couple episodes, you tell him the setup of the show, and he say, come up with some ideas. And he's looking for conflict. Mm-hmm. And the, the basic conflict in the show so far has been, hello, we had man versus machine, which is funny. Yes. Um, but normally it's them needing money. It's them wanting to be successful. It's Davy having trouble with a girl. Nobody went to what happens to the band if you lose a member. And that must have been, you know, one of the things Ornstein pitched because he hadn't seen it done yet. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, yeah, we haven't done that storyline. And if the show had gone on for years and years as something like The Big Bang Theory, you would eventually have had a moment where each of those guys had a reason to possibly leave and something would have drawn them back in. It's just the natural we need conflict. Right. This is a piece of conflict. So I kind of always put it off on that. But again, it, it's such a big change. And also the funny thing is people weren't as television literate savvy, I guess I should say, 
to think about things like, wait, he's in the opening credits. He's not going anywhere. Yeah, this is episode six of a 30-some episode run, and he's the cute one. They're not making him go away. Yes. Exactly. But they don't know that in the same way that, you know, every time a girl shows up on Bonanza and falls in love with little Joe, he's going to die. (laughs) Fair enough. uh, Because he can't get married, right? Because that's going to change the show. So people haven't learned, like you're doing TV tropes, which are so cool, because these tropes, nobody knew what they were yet. Yeah. You know, we've learned that over the years. We know to recognize these moments and whatever. So I don't know. I think that's why I think it was just a great piece of conflict that is a natural. And, you know, how many bands changed members? You know, you could bring in a different cute English boy. Things could change. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, that would be a trick you would use to make sure that the actors didn't ask for too much money because I can write you out in a heartbeat and write in somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, they did too good a job of, uh, you know, <laughs> blending, <laughs> of oh, casting yeah. people with good, good chemistry, both, you know, on screen and in on the concert stage, as later years cool. proved. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, think about the bands that have switched over, you know, I mean, oh, obviously, yeah. think about something like Van Halen. If you, you think you can lose David mm-hmm. Lee Roth, and they did, and still maintained their popularity. Yeah. I mean, so, on off the top of my head, I mean, other than maybe like the Beatles, I can't think of any other band off the top of my head where you could swap out, swap out a member with another member and it wouldn't still be the same band. Correct. No, I think you're right. Because you can't, you can't do that with the monkeys. I mean, you know, you can't. No. Yeah, I mean, it just wouldn't. The work. boys tried. The old Jones boys, boys and heart, and 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 they, yeah, and they spent a summer playing America's finest amusement parks, and that was the end of that. And it had nothing to do with the talent of the people involved, because all no. great singers and performers. So, it in a weird way, it was it was more proof that Mickey and Davy are special because Tommy and Bobby are wonderful songwriters, and they did perform on their own sometimes. But mm-hmm. for whatever reason, they didn't create the kind of spark yeah. that makes you concert sellouts. And Mickey and Davey did. And it's not just the TV show that makes the difference because Tommy and Bobby performed on other TV shows. Yeah. Yeah. They were on I Dream of Genie and a couple other things. So, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, that's that magical it that no one can define and but makes a person a star. Yeah. Very true. Very true. That's why we're still talking about this thing. <laughs> true. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that was the main question that I had that we didn't cover kind of in the context of discussing the episode. Was there any other discussion questions you had thought of? Um, I just think it's nice that as you referenced Devil and Peter Tork, that really, as we get to it, is going to be about, you know, who's allowed to make music, who has the right to. Mm -hmm. And this one really is their chance to, even in a sitcom, sort of ponder what is true success. Yes. And it's not about making money, which is what Davy thought he had to prove to his grandfather. It's about collecting friends. You know, I can't remember, but some mm-hmm. lovely intellectual once said, you know, it's, it's it, riches aren't the, the, the number of money in your bank. It's the number of people you could call when you have a flat tire who'll come fix it. Yeah, yeah. And that is, like I said, I don't think Bob and Bert sat down and said, what do we want this show to say? I mean, they they yeah. sat down and said, let's like make a lot of money. But yeah, <laughs> let's like make a lot of money off of youth culture and, you know, go make Easy Rider. But to the extent the show has thesis statements, I mean, one of them obviously is about, you know, music and the importance of music and creativity. But the other other one is totally about friendship. And it's... Yeah. It is, I don't think anything that they set out to do, but this is, again, not the first episode, but one of the really early episodes where we see that the real, 
romance is not the right word, but the real relationship, the real core mm-hmm. relationship that is important in this show is not whatever girl one of the guys is crushing on this week or whatever. It is the bond of friendship between these four characters. That's exactly right. And if you think about the timing in the 60s, this is the first generation of kids, thanks to the money, the the fact that their fathers and mothers were involved in World War II. Mm -hmm. These are the kids who largely got a chance to go to college, which meant living in dorms and creating friend families, which is another trope that people talk about. But I don't think that's a trope because I just think that's what people do. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. this is part of this youth culture or the folks who flocked to hate Ashbury or who flocked to Laurel Canyon or who just came to big cities to work in clubs and be singers and songwriters. Largely the bands were friend families, which was the first time people had that kind of bond. Cause you know, before that people lived in the same neighborhood as their parents. Your sister lived down the block when she got married and bought a house. You all walked to your parents' house on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Families were the tight, uh, what's the nuclear group. And now friends are being able to be. And this show is demonstrating that. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's also sort of what's happening off screen, too. Yeah. I mean, that they're, you know, in that situation, I think it's more a little bit closer to like all being drafted into the same army unit or, you know, being placed Mm -hmm. in the same dorm room or something a little less, you know, it's a little less glitzy and pretty as as in the TV show, but it's still the same story of these, you know, guys who basically have been, you know, thrust into this situation together and are building some sort of relationship. Right. And frankly, as we keep referencing the 53 years and the current concert in Australia, as the guys have said in many interviews, they were thrown together in the same way you get thrown together in an army unit or a dorm room, and they have been connected for life. Sometimes less, sometimes more. Mm-hmm. But this experience was their dorm room. Yeah, it's, you know, and, you know, yeah, maybe they weren't friends, but it, it, it weren't always friends or weren't, you know, friends in the same way they were in the TV show. But, you know, Nez still busted out crying when he was talking about Peter dying. So he did. And you know what? I mean, it's obvious. And he made the fair statement. He and Mickey have been connected and friends across time. He had yeah. Mickey direct some of elephant parts, mm-hmm. you know, many years past the monkeys. They've always respected each other, so they made, they created a friendship. Yeah. Um, and it, Davey and Mickey created one in a different way where they continued to perform and, you know, mm-hmm. did the point and did the other. So, so they did. Yeah. Two, you know, if you had four kids in a dorm room, probably two of you still really know each other and like each other, and the other two meet every so many years and go, hey, yeah, how are you? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, that that's why I bring that up, because it's an interesting parallel. And it's interesting that in the real world of us recording this episode, that interview had just happened and kind of me watching the show had kind of got me thinking about that. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and I honestly, I have to say, I deeply respect Nesmith's honesty in mm-hmm. saying that they never really got along because anyone could really tell whenever you went to the concerts when they were together and when it was he and Mickey and, and Peter post yeah. Davy's death. I remember telling a friend, do you notice how Mickey stands in the middle? He goes over and plays with Mike. He goes over and plays with Peter. Mike and Peter never play with each other. Yeah, I, I probably ever. saw, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, three or four tours of the Mike-Mickey-Peter combination. Mm-hmm. And I think I only remember like one or two moments across all those three or four concerts where uh, uh, Peter and Nez interacted. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it was truly a job. You, yeah. you own that side of the stage. I own this side of the stage. This guy is the, Mickey's the diplomat. He's the glue. 
he's a glue. He, he is. He is in many ways. Yeah, probably because he's the one who I think in a way probably takes it the least seriously. Mm-hmm. Has it, it? Yeah, didn't let it or got over it. Probably there was a place in his life where it did affect what he thought he could do, but he got over that. He right. figured I out mean, he says as much. Point. I mean, that was most of the 70s for him. But but I think because he'd already had that previous experience with fame, he was sort of able to kind of grow beyond that and, you know, create his life beyond that with a little less struggle, I think. so. I yeah, know. I think you're right. He, yeah. he had an easier time finding himself, to use a phrase from that period. Yeah, very true. Okay, let's get on to the music. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, they are so fascinating. I mean, you could do a giant psychology show just thinking about them. So anyway, yeah, yeah that's why we yeah. came off on that tangent. Yep. <laughs> well, our epi- uh, music this episode was I Want to Be Free and Sweet Young Thing, um, both of which are appearing for the first time on the show. And they're really both really good, like solid, well-written hits. They're not sort of slapped together really quick songs that nobody likes. They both are really, really well written. Yes, very, very true. Very true. I Want to Be Free uh, by Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart, recorded July 19th, 1966, and July 24th, 1966. Personnel, David Jones on vocal, Wayne Irwin, Gary McGee, and Louis Shelton on guitar, Michael Rubini on harpsichord, Paul Schur and Bonnie Douglas on violins, Frederick uh, Secora on cello, Myra Katzenbaum on viola. That is who was involved in that. And then Sweet Young Thing. Guh. Um, <laughs> Got to well, pronounce it correctly. You know, you're from the South. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Written by Michael Nesmith, as well as Goffin and King had a hand in that one. Uh, recorded July 18th of 66 and July 27th of 1966. <laughs> Personnel. Uh, Michael Nesmith lead vocals. Mickey Dolans and Peter Tork on backing vocals, as was common with most Nes productions. Uh, Jimmy Bryant, fiddle, James Burton, Glenn Campbell, Al Casey, Mike DC, and Peter Tork on guitars and bass. Hal Blaine on drums, Gary Coleman and Frank DeVito on percussion, Larry Nectel on piano, Bob West on bass, and some more unknown additional backing vocals. So, wow. Can you imagine a tour of Peter Tork and Glenn Campbell playing guitar? Oh, why couldn't have we have had that? Damn, I didn't really, I just, you mentioned them together in that. I'm like, imagine, that would be so cool. I love Glenn Campbell, so there we go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Wow. That's such a cool, that's a really good lineup. Yeah, mm. yeah, that heck of a, heck of a group. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I Want to Be Free was replaced in reruns with Shades of Grey. You know, I, I've gotten to the point where I like I Want to Be Free in this episode better. I'm not like as militantly against it as I was in earlier years, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I still prefer Shades of Grey. And I'll probably find, I know on YouTube, there's a version of this romp with Shades of Grey over it, which if you haven't watched, you should. So I'll throw it in the show notes or something. And you know what? We should find out. I haven't checked the set list for Australia, but I'm wondering without Peter if they do this song. They very rarely do Shades of Grey. They did it for the, they did it in 2011. Yeah, they did it with Davy, always Davy and Peter. Right, right. And and it actually, uh, actually, Peter broke out a French horn for that. I did not see that yeah. tour, but I saw some photos of Peter playing the French horn on that break, <laughs> which must have been something to see. But oh, yeah, yeah um, it and then it didn't appear again until the 2016 tour. And oh, man, that was it was both beautiful, but it was a yes. punch in the gut to see that yeah. live in 2016. But it was, it was. good. Oh, I'm glad God, I yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, and then, uh, but yeah, I don't think it's appeared since then, which sort of makes sense. 
in uh, in the um, Saturday morning reruns, uh, I Want to Be Free got replaced with French song, which I'm not sure what yeah. I think about that. So No, 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 no. It's between that and Shades of Grey. And that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, they were trying to push the product that they had at the time. So and that was, uh, you know, changes. Yay. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's a sad comment on the difference between from a writer's standpoint, which is why I think we get a theme in some episodes and maybe not at others. And whereas the producers were looking to make money. The the network, when they redistribute this thing, yeah, it is just, it's an infomercial to sell those records, whatever's out at the time. And that's so sad because yeah. it hurts the artistic quality of a piece if the songs don't match the theme of the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is really, and the main reason I brought up Shades of Grey is I think it's really the one, for me, it's the one case, like in the whole run of the show, at least of the rerun versions I've seen, where one of the rerun versions is arguably better than the original. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. In most cases, it's, it's like six of one, half a dozen of the other, or it just doesn't fit. So, and I, I personally think a lot of the Saturday morning stuff do, doesn't fit, but I also know there are a lot of people who love those versions of the romps. So, of course, exactly. Well, next up, we have monkeys in a ghost town. Stranded in a ghost town after the monkey mobile runs out of gas, the monkeys are held prisoner by bank robbers. Written by Robert Schlitt and Peter Meyerson, directed by James Frawley once again, and of course, the first appearance of Rosemary as the Ooh. big man. God, who doesn't love Rosemary? She's amazing. <laughs> I saw her on a tour with Rosemary Clooney, uh, Margaret Whiting, and Helen O'Connell, so... And oh my goodness yeah so that'll be what we'll be talking about next time we're looking forward to that of course and i think that's about everything we've got to say about success story i think it is from doctor to doctor i think we well diagnosed it <laughs> i love it <laughs> <laughs> bye everybody take care Dr. Roseanne Welch is a Mickey girl and the author of why the monkeys matter teenagers television and american pop culture after a career of writing for television shows like Touched by an Angel, Picket Fences, and Beverly Hills 90210, Roseanne shifted gears and went into education. She now writes on film and television studies and teaches in the screenwriting program at Stevens College. Dr. Sarah Clark is an April Conquest and proud of it. When not podcasting here at Zilch, a monkey's podcast, or writing at her blog, Fandom Lenses, her not-terribly-secret identity, she can be found leading a university library in the Philadelphia area. Sarah is convinced that her utter inability to understand Head when she was 11 sparked the intellectual curiosity that led her into academia. If only she'd known the guys themselves didn't understand Head either. Hello, this is Peter Mills. I'm the author of the book The Monkeys, Head and the Sixties, which is the first in-depth study of their 1968 movie. It looks at the history of the band right from their beginnings in 1965, right through their success, the movie, the 70s comebacks. The book also looks at the 33 and a third TV special, the Monkeys MTV revival, a lizard sunning itself on a rock, all the way through to 2016's Good Times. The book is available from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and no doubt other online stores, and is also available as a Kindle download. Check out The Monkey's Head and the Sixties. Well, wonderful. Thank you, everybody, for uh, sticking around for Monkeys 101 today. 
Roseanne and I always love doing this uh, this series. It's it's something we really enjoy. It's kind of one of the favorite things I've gotten to do since we've started since I've started at Zilch. And this episode, I think, might be my favorite so far. Is as as you heard, we kind of really got to kind of dig into not only the episode itself, but sort of the meaning that has been accrued on it as as the years have rolled on. Absolutely. Yeah, this was one of always has been one of my favorite episodes of the monkeys. And for for the obvious reasons, I always look forward to the newest monkeys 101s. Well, we we're going to keep cranking them out as as long as people keep listening. And uh, by my count, we've got uh, about another 50 or so to go. And uh, that doesn't even count 33 and a third and the uh, and, and head and we're going to definitely have to do those. So, oh, and lizard sunning itself on a rock. We got to get that in there, too. So absolutely. Shall we jump right into it? Which it? Monkey's news. As you've probably heard us say many a time on Monkeys 101, I often turn to Andrew Sandoval's Monkeys Day by Day when I have a reference question or if I need to check which 18 session musicians played on a song, that kind of stuff. And I have for years been quietly or not so quietly lobbying for a revised edition, but apparently my wishes have been answered. That's right. Yeah, that that sneaky guy, Andrew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, that was a very gazpacho-ish post, actually. It kind of was. That's right. So so if any of you um, follow Andrew on Facebook, you may have seen this, but in case you didn't, I posted it over in the Zulch Facebook page, Andrew's recent uh, innocuous announcement about it being National Black Cat Day, (laughs) in which he says, my adopted son, the late great page, hashtag National Black Cat Day, hashtag Catter Day. It's a picture of the aforementioned page sitting in Andrew's monkey's uh, director's chair, looking very cute Mm -hmm. says he was with me for the completion of my book on the monkeys and in honor of the 15th anniversary of his adoption from kitten rescue i am proud to announce that i have begun the work of fully revising expanding and updating my book the monkeys the day-by-day story of the 60s tv pop sensation for reprint in late 2020 You can thank Lucky Page for the love and inspiration to return and complete my work from long ago. So, yes, thank you, Page, and thank you, Andrew, for uh, for turning your attention back to that. It is, as Sarah mentioned, an invaluable resource for Monkeys fans, casual or otherwise. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and, uh, we, we definitely are eager to get the updates so we're looking forward to that so you've got a year everybody to to save your pennies and (laughs) and plan on selling that sucker out as soon as it hits the market oh yeah i'm gonna be up up wherever i need to be day one to get a get get the revised copy and i'm i have to admit i'm gonna get the print version in any case but i'm also sort of hoping it comes out in ebook format because for what we do 
for mm-hmm. what for this is maybe just a geeky thing that like zilch podcasters and 12 other people care about but sometimes you need to find this really wacky obscure fact that isn't in one of the indexes and it could be kind of a pain in the neck but you know an e-edition would just let us be able to type in a keyword and go straight to it just a little librarian thought for people to percolate on so that's right yeah <laughs> Hint, hint, Andrew. <laughs> I did not say a word. I, I, I did. Swear, I but... did. It's Christine. I'll say it. <laughs> I'm the one who didn't have the ethical quandary over screenshotting his unshareable post. <laughs> this is news, damn it. <laughs> I was like 95% sure he just hadn't set the settings right, but it's like, I, 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 I did, you know. <laughs> <sighs> Zilch just sucks up all the monkeys' news and puts it where it is in one easy spot, kind of like Andrew does with all the monkeys' facts in his book. I love what you did there. Okay, well, I think that is everything we have for this episode of Zilch. Um, thanks, as always, for being a part of Zilch Nation. You can find us on Facebook. And uh, I, I thank you especially to all you bingers who have now listened to 142 of these things. <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much. And uh, and find us on Twitter, too. Don't forget, Sarah, we're, we're out on on the Twitter Absolutely. universe as well. Absolutely. We're we are on the Facebooks. We're on the Twitters. We're on the, we're on the everything just about, so... okay thank you everybody and we'll see you next time on zilch your podcast full of monkeys see ya bye bye and that's our show zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners we are not related to the monkeys or any of their members past or present we are not affiliated with rhino or ray burke If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around.